Mama and Papa went here. I'm going to keep going what Mama and Papa did, what Mom and Dad did. But what if they did what they knew to be faithful, they did what they saw their parents do, and yet all along, it wasn't as faithful as what the Scriptures say. The driving force for any church shouldn't be the pragmatism, how we did it in the past. The driving force for any church should be the faith once for all delivered to the saints. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. We're glad you've taken some time to join us. My name is Chris Weigel. Out with the old and in with the new. That sounds good when you're spring cleaning or looking for a newer car. But does that phrase apply when growing a church? This is part two in a series on level paths called Nostalgia and Mission in Appalachia. The balance between what once worked in the past and looking ahead at new ideas is a tough one. Young believers and seasoned believers generally look at things differently. So how are the two reconciled? Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamblin are continuing that discussion. Here's Rex. Welcome back to another Level Paths podcast. My name is Rex Howe. I have the privilege of serving as the sixth president in the 54-year history at Tri-State Bible College. And I'm here with my brother and my partner, Dr. Matt Shamblin. And Matt, you just showed me something on our Apple podcast app here. And we're five out of five right now. And uh, we've got some nice, very kind reviews there. You know, maybe we should stop now, brother. I think there's all the reason in the world to quit while we're ahead. You know, we've asked folks to share a podcast and do the reviews because that helps raise his profile, helps us to impact more people. And we've had a couple handfuls of reviews and they've all been good. What a humbling privilege that is because... You know, what we're trying to do here is help those who are serving in Appalachia serve more faithfully, honor the Lord. And so maybe we quit while we're ahead. I, I don't know. Folks will find out that they probably know more than we do here. So it's good to have these discussions anyway. And, you know, you are the sixth president. Well, I am the first Appalachian Research Fellow. I mean, in the long couple year history of the Appalachian Ministry Institute. I just say that in jest, uh, but it's a great privilege to serve folks here in Appalachia. Yeah, the founder, first research fellow and founder of the Appalachian Ministry Institute. That's no small thing, brother. I mean, I think it's been such a joy to have this as part of the Bible College, and we appreciate our listeners, and we are greatly, well, we're just thankful. We're very thankful for your being part of the conversation about Appalachia and what's going on with Christ's mission in Appalachia. The reason we do the podcast, the reason we started the Appalachian Ministry Institute is because we want to encourage and affirm pastors who are serving in Appalachia. Had a phone call today from a pastor who serves in Appalachia, and he's wanting to provide some staff with some education. And he said, you know, he's got a lot on his plate. He works two jobs. He serves in our church. Is he going to be able to handle Education Tri-State Bible College. And I, I told him, I said, first, anybody who signs up for Education Tri-State Bible College, they're going to get a world-class education. And I don't say that with tongue-in-cheek. That's reality. We have folks who are able to transfer for seminary and take a huge amount of credits with them, a third of the program with them. But I know that there may be folks who say, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in school, or how could I ever handle school. I answered this question with him today. I said, you know, 
if we have students on campus in a traditional setting and their biggest stressor was how long do I cook the ramen in the microwave? That really is a different approach, but we have adult learners. They have multiple jobs, children, grandchildren, and sometimes even great-grandchildren. They're trying to figure out how to juggle that. A promise that is made, I know by me as a professor, I know by you as a professor to others, when you're dealing with adult learners, you're going to get a great education and we're going to work with you because our goal is not just to see you succeed academically, but our goal is to see you succeed in ministry. We need more people rowing the boat, more gospel witnesses in Appalachia who are equipping and discipling. That's why we exist. We're not really experts on Appalachia. That's never been our approach to this. What we are are learners. That's how it all started. Serving in the context of Appalachia, we want to learn, and sometimes that takes moment to pump the brakes, slow down, and analyze what you're doing. And that's what we're going to do here today. We're going to talk about, really, this is a part two of a podcast that we started on mission in Appalachia, this contrast between nostalgia and faithful gospel witness. And so uh, we've got so much feedback, positive feedback from the last part of the conversation. Rex, as I listened to that first part, I thought, you know, We need to circle back and speak a lot about younger people, about their role, their impact, because it seemed like if you didn't know better, if you didn't listen to the end of the podcast, it seems like we really lowered the boom on older people. And that really missed the point. It was never about younger and older people. It was about a mindset that says we're not going to change and a mindset that says that we have to change. It was never about age. It was always about gospel engagement. We want to start with a biblical foundation that's important to us, mostly a biblical foundation for a multi-generational church. And we find this throughout the book of Acts. We see families coming to know Christ. We see, and so when families are coming to know Christ in the book of Acts, as the apostles are preaching the good news about Jesus Christ, we know that means multi-generational. We see signs of elders and deacons. We see Timothy feeling called to ministry, his mother, and we found out his mother and grandmother had an impact on him later. We see single people. We see Mary. We see Priscilla and Aquila. We see Lydia. We see Apollos. We see single, married, old, young, all kinds of people coming to know Christ and getting involved in the mission that Christ has given to his people. I think of Timothy being called by Paul and taken along on the mission as as an important piece to this. You know, his family recognizing he has a gifting, his church recognizing he has a gifting, Paul recognizing he has a gifting, and then bringing him on to train alongside the apostle. I also think of that precious chapter in Acts chapter 20 with the elders of Ephesus, the last time that Paul and those elders probably saw one another face to face and these are these are probably seasoned men for as long as you know the gospel preaching had been going on at that point these are men who who were proven who had been designated as elders in the congregation that Paul is really entrusting the future of the congregation into their hands and so we see this multi-generational aspect in the narrative of how the church was built well we see this idea with Timothy. And as Paul's writing his final letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, remember what he said. He said, the things which I you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. The normal picture that we see with the first century church is multi-generational. We often confuse that the church that we're familiar with as the norm, when in reality, the norm is multi-generational, and within that multi-generation, there is care, there is discipleship, there is sending. And you made a statement that I, I made a note of. You said the church recognized the gifting. There have been many young men who said, God's called me to ministry. And these were young men, God's called to ministry, and they were not called within the context of the local church. We've had them as students. I've had those as fellow learners in college and seminary. Now imagine this, they're going to college, they're going to seminary for the purpose of serving the church of which they are not a part. But when we look in the New Testament, it's out of the church. Remember, Timothy's mother and grandmother were faithful followers of the Lord. And it's so it's from out of that culture of the church comes the hand of God moving in the people of God, identifying, recognizing the will of God to call Timothy, call these people. And so, you know, Rex, it's not until recently, and when I say recently, I'm talking in the last 150 to 200 years, that we switched to these age-graded classes. I'm not against that. But the church was a family, and in that family, we gathered together, and as we gathered together, there are multiple age groups, there are, there are multiple ages within that. But in the last couple hundred years, we say, wait a minute, no, we're going to put ages together, and those ages are going to learn. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but we have to point out that it's when we started doing that that we see this decline. We don't see growth, we see decline. because. The expectation then is, I just need to get through this class. And that's why I heard just last night that about 80% of those who graduate high school walk away from their faith. There's a serious issue here. I'm thinking through the church and the recognition of the calling in the church. I'm even thinking of the Apostle Paul. I mean, the Apostle Paul had a unique vision of the resurrected Christ, okay? This is not something that happens to every person. But what did he do in Acts chapter 9? He went, and this is the New Testament language, and tried to join himself to the body at Jerusalem. And we read later that the church sends him and Barnabas to Antioch, right? And they minister in Antioch. And then in Acts chapter 13, while they're at the church in Antioch and they're praying about the mission, the church listens to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says to the church, don't miss this, to the church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Very clear, right? Who's the they? The they is the church sent them, Paul and Barnabas, off to do the first missionary journey. And so as we think about some of the difficulties, some of the challenges, the problems with the multi-generational church, nostalgia, mission, one of the problems that you and I have talked about has to do with returning to the past pragmatism. And 
when we think about even young people in Appalachia, young preacher boys in Appalachia, there's this mindset. And I've even seen it on Tri-State Bible College admissions applications. Why do you want to come to Bible college? I want to start, quote, my own church. And it's not a, I want to be equipped so that my church will send me out when I'm ready. You see, in Appalachia, there's a return to this pragmatism. What I mean by that is we look at what people have done before and we say it's got to be that way because that's the way it was done. That's the way it's right. And we see young and old doing this, don't we? We do. So it wasn't until the Second Great Awakening that we have this idea of my faith is my own removed from the body of Christ, removed from the local church. That is a very Second Great Awakening idea. When we look in the Bible, we find the majority of the letters in the New Testament were written to local churches. So when I repented of my sins and come to faith in Christ, I am growing in my walk with the Lord in the context of a local church. That's the norm. We see it with the Apostle Paul. We see it in the life of the church in the New Testament. When we think of Appalachia, there is an independent mindset within Appalachia that goes back to its very foundation. And so when we have this independent mindset, it's an idea that I can function independently on my own, and I'm going to carry these things out. I'm going to carry out what I've learned. I'm going to function independently. If I don't find anybody, any place where this fits, then I'm going to start my own, and I'm going to do it the right way. I was at a baby shower. It's a strange thing for me that a man goes to a baby shower, but that's the way it was. I was told I was going, and so I showed up. So I'm at a baby shower, and it was actually in my hometown, and the man who is the pastor of this church was a student that I had when I was a teacher, when I taught elementary school a long time ago. And I said, you know, this guy has big shoes to fill because the man who had pastored that church for, it seemed like generations, was a legend in the area. And this girl that I was talking to that grew up with, went to high school with, she said, yeah, but this, and he named the young pastors. He does it the old way, the way that that legendary pastor did it. You know, there's a lot of pride in that. Mama and Papa went here. And that's my time to hold the rope. I'm going to keep going what Mama and Papa did, what Mom and Dad did. But what if, for just a moment, they did what they knew to be faithful? What if they did what they saw their parents do? And yet, all along, it wasn't as faithful as it could be, as faithful as what the Scriptures say. The driving force for any church shouldn't be the pragmatism, how we did it in the past. But the driving force for any church should be the faith once for all delivered to the saints, that we're looking anew and afresh at the Word of God and passing on what we have been taught doctrinally. But what if we've been taught doctrinally if we were errant? I have a friend who is who was a fifth-generation Jehovah's Witness. Now, imagine that. He worked at Bethel in New York. And it was there that he met some of the translators of the New World Translation, and he recognized that they didn't know the original languages, couldn't even translate a single verse. God used that to call him to repentance and faith in Jesus. 
But if he stuck with what mom and dad did, mama and papa did, great mama and papa, and great great mama and papa, he would still be lost to this day. So what must drive us is a faith once for all delivered to the saints, centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, desiring to see lost people come to faith in Christ. And so how does a young adult feeling called to ministry, maybe that's vocational, maybe it's just as a lay leader in some capacity, and they're in an established Appalachian church, and they're sensing conflict, you know, they're sensing maybe nostalgia, they have ideas, and they probably even are maybe unbeknownst to them trapped in their own nostalgia because they're an Appalachian person. (laughs) Sometimes we don't see ourselves, but this, let's say you have that person, they're in their established church and they're saying, you know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You know, looking at some of these stats that we were talking about earlier, uh, these church members are judgmental or these church members hold a political stance that is nauseating me, or maybe it's Christianity shallow here. They think we need to do things different. Is it better to leave and start their own thing? Or is it better to stay and be part of the multi-generational solution to put Christ at the center? Well, I think it all has to do with what that thing is that they're doing. Here we talk about starting their own thing. Is the goal to lean into my preferences? If it's a preference thing, then you have no biblical ground to leave. If it's a doctrinal thing, then you have all the ground you need to leave. And preference is what I like, the people that I like. It's going to be the people that I can get along with. There's nothing supernatural about that, Rex. When we think about the early church, the only excuse for the early church being together was the Spirit of God, because you have people from all walks of life. In one case, you have a slave owner and a slave in a church. They're not from the same socioeconomic background, okay? But they're in the church because what unites them is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not their economic status, not their social status. So the driving force has to be, the pull has to be Christ over pragmatism. That's important. It's always been Christology and mission. It's always been. That's been the unifying force of the church since the very beginning. That's exactly right. I mean, imagine what if you are in a country, and and I I would guess that this is a uniquely first world thing, especially a uniquely American thing, that if you're in a place where people have a gospelized, a Christianized language, a Christianized mindset, that doesn't mean it's Christian. It means that that mindset is Christianized. If you're in the South, this is you. Well, bless your heart. Well, that is Christianized mindset. That's a Christianized language. doesn't mean you you want God's blessing on them. As a matter of fact, that means quite the opposite of that. It's a Christianized mindset, and that Christianized mindset has to give way to a gospel-centered mindset. Those are really different. So when's the time to leave? Let's put the cookies on the lowest shelf. First off, it's not time to leave when it's my preference. They don't do the music that I like. You don't hear a lot about music wars, worship wars anymore. They don't do the music I like. You know, the pastor still wears a suit. The question is, are they faithfully teaching the Bible? There it is. Are we faithfully 
trying to carry out the mission. And I mean, are you trying to carry out the mission? If you're not trying to carry out the mission, you can't blame the church for not carrying out the mission because you are the church. And so is it a place where you can be the church? And I'm not talking about be a part of a program, but that you are contributing to the lives of others and the others are contributing to the lives of your life. Are you faithfully hearing and faithfully teaching, faithfully discipling? All of that has to come to the table, not just do I like the music? Do I do they have the coffee that I like? Or maybe they won't even allow coffee at all. Those are questions that have to be asked when we're thinking about moving and switching a church. I do want to add something else. I know that it's become kind of the norm for believers to jump from one church to another perpetually. I want you to hear me. I genuinely do want to see people walk in a deeper walk with Jesus. But we never find that in the New Testament. We never find this salad bar mentality of local church involvement. In fact, even here in the United States, I think of a church, First Baptist Church, Charleston, South Carolina. The entire congregation moved from the north to the south for the purpose of preaching the gospel. The whole congregation moved. They didn't just, well, we've moved across town. We're not going to be able to come there anymore. Your worship times at a different time. This is a commitment to a family. And when we're committed to family, we're going to be involved no matter where they go, no matter what they do. Commitment to family and the mission of the family. I mean, that is that is a missional move. Speaking a bit more to young adults and especially young leaders in established churches, just some ideas. Spend some time listening to those older people. Find out what they value about the church and, and their stories. Be a learner. Be teachable. You got to learn the culture of a place. You got to learn the story of a place before you can lead anything and form those genuine relationships with the older people. There's maybe a too quick of jumping ship, and uh, there's a need for humility in young leaders. I'm a middle aged leader, I guess now. And I was young and in ministry, and, and there's definitely this season where, hey, I'm not in charge. <laughs> I have lived long enough to be in charge. I'm not in charge. These other men are in charge. And my role here is to learn and observe and take it in so that I'm ready when it's time. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom in being part of an established church and and watching those who are ahead of me in ministry learn from their mistakes, learn from their successes. That's no doubt. I mean, can you imagine being Mark and Silas when Paul and Barnabas have the conflict? What a learning experience, you know. And we know that whole issue comes full circle and Mark and Paul's relationship is healed and so forth. So we need to watch and observe and learn. On October 7th, 2023, Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute will host The Holler. It's an Appalachian Youth Ministry Training Initiative. Everything starts at 10 a.m. at Tri-State Bible College with Youth Leaders Only Training with Pastor Kyle Boone. Then Youth Leaders, students, and parents get together for lunch at 12 o'clock 
And then at 1 o'clock, Rex Howe will lead the session on evangelism and youth training for youth leaders, parents, and their students. Worship is led by Isaac Pittman, and everything wraps up at 3 o'clock. You can register right now for The Holler at tsvc.edu, or you can call 740-377-2520. Matt, a part of this problem, doing what we've done in the past, getting stuck in that pragmatism, jumping ship, going to do my own thing, which is also part of the pragmatism of the past in Appalachia. The leaving and doing my own thing is a common Appalachian church practice, okay? That's why we have so many little tiny churches dotting all the different hills is because someone left and did their own thing, okay? Now, one of the things we talked about was sometimes to hold the rope to maintain the pragmatism of the past, we will actually, and as Appalachians, redefine reality. That's exactly right. One of the Appalachian traditions is homecoming. Now imagine, we're going to have homecoming at a church. And what is homecoming? It's a reason to get together with the people from the past in order to have a meal or celebrate the past. And churches that are closed, that have been closed for generations, still have homecoming. It's a reunion. Well, my brothers and sisters, church is not about a reunion. That reunion will take place in heaven when the Lord Jesus calls us home. Our church is to make disciples of the nations. Rex, there's always going to be this multi-generational pull. When we have a church that looks like the New Testament, there's going to be a pull from different generations. There's going to be a pull to traditions from the past. There's going to be a pull for relevance in the future. And the middle ground is probably the right place to be. Doing things the way that we've always done them in the past is not going to be faithful in gospel engagement today. But running from one new trend to another is not going to be faithful in gospel engagement today. We have to learn this multi-generations. Is going to, there's going to be a constant pull, and there's going to be a constant give and take. And so when we think of leaders in a church, every leader has a responsibility to disciple. And that discipleship is not just a discipleship in Scripture, but it's also going to be a discipleship in ministry. When you find a ministry within a church that has no one serving in it, the last person who dies, they're the ones who turn out the lights. You know for sure one thing, discipleship in ministry is not taking place. And if someone dies and there's no one that knows how to turn on the soundboard, there's a failure for discipleship. Someone dies and there's no one who knows where the keys are, that's a failure of discipleship. But a young person has no right to demand their place at the table. You can't go in and say, I absolutely insist. But I would also say that you can't keep them waiting on the sidelines forever. There has to be a middle ground, but don't expect them because part of growth is service. There is a so what in studying the Bible, and that is putting it into action to glorify Christ through my life. And if I'm not ever serving, then there's somebody who's there who has a responsibility to help steward my growth who's not doing their job. 
And this often, what often happens is we want a crowd in a church, and that crowd in the church is there. If we have a selfish mindset, it's there for me. I want you to come and listen to me, and there's never an attempt to get you involved. Well, that's not faithful. Yeah, it's got to be discipleship. It's got to be. And that implies that you've got mature believers, seasoned believers, and you've got younger up-and-coming disciples and there has to be a giving of the opportunity. You've got to take that risk. You've got to take that step for the perpetual generational continuation of the church. So I, I remember a situation at a, a rural church, not a not an Appalachian church, but a rural church that I was in. And I was in the pulpit and saw this young dad with a little guy who his little guy just had a something happen in the service and he was crying, man. He was crying in the service. Okay. And I saw as I'm leading the Lord's Supper, Matt, I saw him get up with his little guy and turn around and try to scoot out of the pew. And a gentleman, significantly his elder, looked at this young dad in the eyes and gave him the get out of here sign. And I saw all that happen unfold while I was doing the Lord's Supper. And so it took everything in me to not stop the Lord's Supper and address it right then and there. But I did. I just kept going. And I told myself, I'm going to address this later. And I did. I addressed it with the young dad, encouraged him, said, hey, I'm so glad you're here. We've got to have little ones in the church. They are the up and coming deacons and elders and trustees of our congregation. I'm so sorry that that happened. Uh, we understand. We want the little ones here. We understand sometimes it's going to be too much for them. And that couple, they stuck it out. They became leaders in our children's ministry, just a fine, fine couple. But when I had the conversation with the older guy, and I said, you know, I saw how you handled the situation. Is that really the best way you think that was the best way to handle the situation? Well, there ought to be reverence during the Lord's Supper. Well, I compl I'm completely on the same page, completely agree with you. But, you know, Lord Jesus, he said, I remember him saying on one occasion, let the little children come to me. These were probably, you know, sick kids, not real happy kids, probably a little bit grumpy kids at that time. He welcomed them. He always welcomed them. I said, don't you think there was a way for you to welcome and even even go back and see if that young dad needed a hand you know hey it looks like you got your hands full is there anything i can do instead of giving the the umpire you're out of here sign is there something else we could matt he was so upset with me he left the church but i as a young leader though i was convinced that i made the right decision those of us who are now older in the church we've got to say it's our responsibility to disciple those who are up and coming and equip them so that they can do the ministry next. We've got, and, and if you're not committed to that, then, then that is a problem. And the younger ones, you got to have a little bit of thick skin sometime and you got to stick it out and uh, continue finding those relationships that are going to help you grow into your place in ministry. I was preaching a, a revival in Clay County, West Virginia, a great church up a holler. And this particular night, was preaching and a young family came and there was a little kid that was while I was preaching while the service was going on was running around the church and then while I was preaching they were this little small child was running around the church up and down the aisles up on the platform down 
And inside, I'm thinking, will somebody not get their child? Well, somebody grabbed this child, took it out the back door, and I could see out the back door. There they stood. After the service, I went to the lady who grabbed the kid, and I said, hey, I said, thank you for taking your child out uh, during the service. We love to have children here, but this child clearly needed some more attention and needed to be uh, outside. Out of <laughs> lady said, "What my kid? I don't know who the kid belonged to." She said, "I just got tired of it." She, but she went on to say they needed to hear what you had to say, and so I was willing to take the child outside. A lot of folks who are coming to church now, especially younger folks, have never been inside the church door. And so when they come, we have to recognize that we need, our goal is so that they'll hear the gospel preached, that they'll hear what the Bible has to say, and the Holy Spirit will move and work in their life. And so we need to do what we can to serve them. You know, that may mean instead of giving them the get out sign or scowling at them because they don't have their children under control. Maybe this is a time for you just to grab them, scoop their kids up and take them to a children's area and teach them the best that you can from God's word. We have to serve one another. Rex, that's, that sounds like it came right out of the Bible, that we're to serve one another, doesn't it? You know, it's really not about the crowd. In the past, there's this pull to pragmatism, and we're going to do whatever needs to happen in order to get the big crowd. But I, I want to remind you that the Lord Jesus, when he had his largest crowd, he turns to the crowd and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Well, the crowd left. Well, in our world, we would say it this way, to add insult to injury, what's he do? He turns to his own disciples and he says, you're going to leave too? You remember, we throw Peter under the bus often, but remember what he said? He said, Lord, where else would we go? Who else has the words of life? Mm-hmm. Our goal is to disciple the nations. We can't soften the message in order to draw a crowd. It was Jesus who said the first time the word church appears in the Bible, in the New Testament, he says he would build his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. We cannot soften the message. We can't dilute the gospel. We have to be faithful in preaching the gospel and trust Jesus to build his church. That's what he will do. Our goal is not the crowd. You have to have someone to preach to, so you can't be blind to that. But our goal is not to draw the crowd. Our goal is to faithfully disciple the nations. The Lord brings it together. And that requires, in its most effective form, a multi-generational church. Every area. Can you imagine? At every age, there is a faithful gospel witness. My little nephew was five years old, kindergarten, and he told his dad, hey, we need to pick up these friends for church. Now, his dad's the pastor. We need to pick up these friends for church. It's kindergarten. And his dad had printed up some invite cards and laid them on a table at the church. Well, he's five years old. And he grabbed a handful of those and went to his public school and handed out these invite cards. And not only did he bring his friends with him to church, but those friends, kindergartners, brought their families, and many of them came to faith in Christ. This is what a faithful gospel witness looks like. He didn't know what to do other than invite people to church, and God used it. Imagine, Rex, if we're just willing to give a gospel tract, if we're willing to share 
what God's done in us, if we're willing to invite the church, or maybe we are willing to faithfully proclaim the gospel, God will use us right where we are if we will be faithful to him. Yeah, and man, one of the great things about young people is how fearless they are, man, how fearless they can be with the gospel, and that's why we need them in the church. There's this almost just... They haven't been in the world long enough to identify some of the warnings and risks and hazards and things that cause older people anxiety and fear. They're fearless and they'll do and they'll they'll talk about Christ in places where most people won't. And that's why we need their ministry in the established church. So let's dream a little bit to close us out. Let's dream about the possibilities of an Appalachian church not defined by culture, but driven by scripture. What does it look like for an Appalachian church to catch the mission that's multi-generational, to become a church that truly has Christology at the center? What does it look like for us to be that? A gospel explosion. Because when we look at the movements of God in Appalachia, whether it be among the Baptist or even among the Methodist, it was local people being raised up preaching the gospel. And that's why today you can drive around Appalachia and you can see little white frame Methodist churches, though they may be closed. You can see these little white frame Methodist churches because people are reaching the people that they know and trust. This is one of the reasons that it's so difficult to come from outside of Appalachia and make an impact in Appalachia, because there's an immediate resistance or question, can I really trust them? And if you have multi-generations, imagine you have multiple generations reaching their friends, their families, the people that they come in contact with, the people that they know the best. You have them reaching those people with the gospel. You have a gospel explosion, a multiplication. This is not just addition, but gospel multiplication in seeing people come to faith in Christ. And you also have built-in encouragement and support. Imagine. Well, these people in my class at school, they're here because I've invited them, and now I can go to school. Maybe I'm not going to a Christian school, but my class is increasingly Christian because all of the people here have come to faith in Christ. It's a, it's a potential. Potential is just unlimited. This is the way the New Testament church is to function. This is what we saw in the opening pages of Acts. The church didn't, they didn't just add, they multiplied. We see them multiply in incredible explosive growth. As a young person, maybe you're like, oh, man, if I if I bring, you know, my college friends or if I bring my high school friends or my junior to church and, you know, there are these old people there and and, I, you know, I just don't know. Just do it. That's my encouragement. Just do it and see what God does. I think we need to trust the spirit in this. We fail to trust the spirit when we are afraid of what people are going to think or how they're going to react, you know. Trust the Spirit over time to work in the rest of the congregation's heart. Bring your friends. Bring them. See what happens. See how it causes the church, the already established church to grow and change for the next generation. It needs to do that. What we can do is, because we're not trusting the Spirit to make us who we're supposed to be as the church, we go and think, well, I know better. Let's go off and just do my own thing. Let's just bring them in and let God change and cause friction and cause all the all the challenges that come when new people start to come in. Let's just let the Spirit work that out. 
because it'll bring a freshness. It'll bring some imagination. It'll bring some excitement. And that's all right, isn't it? It is. I have a friend who God called to ministry and he uh, started pastoring a church. He got some education. His dad was a pastor and he starts pastoring a church and there was 20 people in the church. Well, God started using him in incredible ways. His name's Abram Crozier. God used him in incredible ways. And the church is running well over 200 now. And he and I serve on a board together and I sat beside him and I love to talk to him. And he said, you know, one of the biggest, the biggest difficulties that we've had is God's brought so many people. So many people have come to faith in Christ so quickly. The folks who were there in the beginning see right away that these new folks don't know how to act in the church. They don't know how to, they don't know what they're supposed to do. And so it's it's a constant struggle. Rex, the scripture tells us that it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It's really not about our ability to win them to us. It's about being faithful to preach that gospel message and the work of the Spirit draws them to faith in Christ. Remember, Paul tells us that no man says Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. You may listen to your pastor preach and you may say, this guy is going to be offensive. I guarantee you, if he is faithful to the gospel, he's going to be offensive because the Bible tells us that the gospel is an offense. When I hear that not only can I not save myself, but the God who made me is going to hold me accountable. He holds me accountable to his own righteousness and holiness. Well, that's offensive because it's directly hits me to my, in my pride and my inability. But that same message that kills is the same one that brings life by the spirit of God. And so the possibilities in Appalachia are really unlimited. If we can grab a hold of an idea of a multi-generational church preaching the gospel for every generation, it's going to look more unique, going to look different. It's not going to look what we like what we've always done. It's not going to look like the most trendy thing. It's going to be brokenness brought together by the Spirit of God. Amen. What we hope for, what our college hopes to be a part of, we're not the church. It tra- I mean, we are members of the church here at Tri-State Bible College, but Tri-State Bible College is not a church. It's an organization established by those from the church in order to strengthen the church and have a have an equipping ministry alongside the church. But what we hope for is the same thing that the church hopes for, and that's a faithful gospel witness in every generation in Appalachia. Matt, I hope that this has been an encouragement. I think it has been for me as we think about the biblical foundation for a multi-generational church, the calling that comes out of the established church when we join ourselves to it and then are sent out from it to do. It's not that we can't do new works. We can, but it should come from the established work and then going out from it and in partnership with it. We know there are problems looking at our pragmatism, what worked in the past, let's just keep doing that, redefining reality because we're stuck in the past, we can't look to the future. And some of the possibilities, if if we can, in a multi-generational way, really embrace the youth in the church and the gospel fearlessness they want to bring, what an amazing thing to dream about, having football teams come and 
baseball teams, the soccer teams and quiz bowl groups. And Hey, these are my play practice friends coming in and, and hearing the word. And then, Hey, pastor, my friend here from college has a question about what you said. That, that's exciting. That's good. Those are good things. That's what should be happening. That's exactly right. There's going to be a pull to do things differently than we've always done. Just because we've always done it this way is not a good enough excuse. It's not a good enough reason. But just because there's a new way to do it is not a good enough reason to do it that way either. It's the Lord who joins and knits the church together. There has to be a recognition that not everyone in the local church was put there by the Lord. We know that the enemy sows in those tares among the wheat. We know that. But we also have to recognize that just because the tares have been sowed in among the wheat, those tares may have been there for a long time. We know that when we read Third John, Diotrephes was one who demands preeminence in the church. And so we have to be a people driven by the scripture and not bound by our culture so that there's level paths. We can clearly see the glory of the Lord. A multi-generational church. Is it possible? The better question is, how do we do it? We have a generation of young people whose interpretation of the New Testament might seem woke or seeker-friendly. But a closer look will reveal that this younger perspective has honed in on meeting needs as a way of getting people through the doors, at which point the gospel will then be preached. But here comes the big however. Older, more seasoned Christians have the experience to monitor and filter. So imagine these two perspectives working hand in hand with openness and understanding. The church could experience a much needed change it hasn't seen in quite a while. Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource. And no matter what need you may have, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamblin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howe is the president of Tri-State Bible College. You can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Shamblin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email matt.shamblin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.